I'm Sean Sheehan. And I'm Rodney Robinson. And this is the Teacher's Caucus Podcast. This meeting of the Teacher's Caucus is now in session. I'm Sean Sheehan, and with me as always is Rodney Robinson. Rodney, how you doing today? I'm good, man. Like all educators right now, we're struggling, struggling, but we're still maintaining and keeping it going. There you go. Well, hey, I mean, we're going to change up the conversation a little bit. I'm excited. We're taking it kind of in a different direction uh, with our guest, Takeru. I'm super excited. Thanks for coming out. So let me read your official bio, and then we'll get right into it. So Takeru Nagayoshi, uh, who also goes by TK, is the 2020 Massachusetts Teacher of the Year and an advocate for equity in K-12 education. He's the director of community events at Panorama Education and currently leads professional learning events that reach an audience of over 10,000 education stakeholders. Outside of this role, TK also leads trainings and workshops around the country, ranging from topics on DEI, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion, education policy, social-emotional learning, uh, curriculum and content at the high school level. He has received recognitions, multiple, <laughs> uh, such as the Horace Mann Award for Teaching Excellence in 2021, the Sue Lehman uh, Excellence in Teacher Leadership Award in 2019, uh, and the Boston University Young Alumni Award that same year, and the Sontag, maybe I'm not saying that right, but Sontag Prize in Urban Education in 2018. As a son of Japanese immigrants and a gay person of color, TK leverages his identities for, to fight for and center equity in his teaching and leadership. Welcome, TK. Thanks for coming out. How are you? I think pretty good. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a heck of a bio, first of all. So for our listeners, I mean, <laughs> you, you do incredible work. I'm biased because I've got family yes. in Massachusetts. I'm also biased because we're both AAPI, so I'm excited you're our first. Like, yes. Wait, are you our first? Yes. Yeah, yeah first. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. So shout out. There we go. Um, nice. Breaking <laughs> and your cohort yeah you know we had a moment with your cohort because there was a strong api showing uh you know we got that photo at google so that was that meant a lot mm-hmm. to me man i, I don't belong to your i'm not your year uh but i you know we clicked automatically i was like yeah all right i found my family like it's it's good it's good for sure we're 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 less than one percent right of the educator workforce and yeah. so it's nice to find another api educator <laughs> definitely definitely <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, I definitely understand that. You know, sometimes when you find your group, you got to get that group photo just because representation is so, so important to our to our students to see people like them in positions you don't normally see. And so that's really mm-hmm. just an awesome, awesome job. Quite, did, did, it, did anybody try to crash your photo? <laughs> just sean yeah he, he was the only one who wasn't a 2020 yeah. but still found his way into our photo sir sir can we get one with just the 20s and then one with you after <laughs> never mind that i was the one that organized it just to be clear that, the truth. <laughs> i'm just teasing but, yeah, but that, but that is awesome. I want. Can you guys, if you ever get a chance, just send me that picture. You know, because one thing I like to have up in my classroom is just representation of everybody. I want all students to be able to see themselves in the profession. So you guys just had Washington Week, and you got a chance to visit the White House and get involved in all the legislative actions going on in Washington. Tell us a little bit about your week in Washington. Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, just for context, right? The teacher of the year 
uh, cohort being invited to the White House. And it was such a wonderful way of just capping my toy, right? We call them, right? Uh, toy journey, especially after having my year of service basically canceled. And so reuniting with the cohort, seeing folks is really cool. Uh, and what was also cool is it was the first time uh, in the seven decades, I think, of the National Teacher of the Year program where two cohorts, the 2020s and the 2021s, were honored together at the White House. Uh, and so in addition to the White House, we visited museums like the Smithsonian. Uh, There's a Capitol Hill Advocacy Day where I got to speak with my senator. Um, and we also just heard from bomb-ass people, right? I don't know if I can curse, sorry. <laughs> but folks like Johanna Hayes, uh, Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, Education Secretary Cardona, uh, obviously floated in POTUS. And so it was amazing. I'm kind of social, uh, socialized out, but uh, I had a wonderful time. I just, I just want to thank you, you know, for, for one thing, being the first AAPI representative on it and the first person to curse on right. our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> which, I'll try to keep awesome, it at a minimum. <laughs> which is awesome because I thought that would be me, but I'm glad it wasn't. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But, seriously, but sometimes, you know, when you're when you're t- meeting such powerful people, you can't think of other words to describe what you're feeling. And so, you know, how was Joe? How was Joe? You know, Joe was Joe was awesome. So he wasn't supposed to show up. And so they've been really hush hush about it all day. And um, I was kind of half expecting that no one was going to show, especially because as a 2020 teacher of the year, I've kind of gotten used to getting my expectations built up and things not really turning out that way. Uh, but he came out last minute and and and, and gave a wonderful speech and, and talked about his professor uh, and how an educator in his life was the one who pushed him to go uh, run for Senate. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I had a I had a wonderful time. Did you meet with any legislators from Massachusetts? And, and what if so, what did you talk about? Uh, just Senator Markey, uh, and he was a little busy uh, because I think they were in session for, for, for a vote. And so he just popped by and, you know, only enough to say hi and for us to take a photo on Zoom. Um, I didn't get to meet my other legislators, uh, but other folks actually got to go uh, to the Capitol Hill and, and, and sit in the desks and be in the office of their congressmen and congresswomen. So that was pretty cool. I'll say if you could bring up that an issue to him, what would have been something you wanted to say to him? Um, I wanted to talk about just the teacher burnout, right, crisis that we're facing, the need for our social emotional needs for not just students, but educators to be met. Um, I also wanted to talk, and I think we'll go a little bit into this in a bit, right, but about some of the financial realities that educators are facing right now um, and, and how it ties to these broader educator conversations around teacher shortage um, and, and, and teacher resignation. And so uh, those are some of the things that I would have probably told him. Yeah, so talk about it. If we're talking finances, I mean, we're talking about student loan forgiveness. What, what, what's, what's on your mind? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, there's like this whole talk and, and need to recruit and retain our educators and how there's this national teacher shortage crisis that's been exacerbated by the pandemic. And I think like the typical way that we respond to that, right, is about social emotional supports or listening to educators and, and empowering them to be in leadership roles. But those are never going to address the material needs of our teachers, right? Um, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, Sean, you've been a huge advocate of um, paying our teachers. But like at the end of the day, if you really want to recruit and retain folks into the educator workforce, you have to pay teachers more, right? Uh, and especially these past years where educators have been asked to go above and beyond 
to essentially risk their life and health with double the labor uh, and with no rise in, in, in compensation or respect. Uh, and so my take, right, to the point of student loans is to cancel student loans, right? Um, and and uh, here's how it kind of connects, right? Uh, when it comes to the federal government, uh, they don't have as much control over teacher salary because it's something that's under the local government control. But one thing that they can do is cancel student debt. Uh, and so my partner, for instance, he's 34 years old uh, and he's been an educator for 10 years, but he still doesn't qualify for public loan forgiveness. Uh, and he makes a decent salary as an assistant principal, but he's also tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And a lot of his financial expenses goes to caring for his parents as a first generation Latino American. And so when the pandemic happened, right, and, and, and the, the student loans were halted, uh, that was the first time in his adult life where he was able to build his own savings account, right? Something that allowed him to visit his grandmother when she passed away earlier this year. Um, and the sad reality is, is that his story is not an anomaly, especially for folks of color around my age. Millennials are in more debt than any other generation with an average balance of like 40K per borrower. And so... You know, even as one of the most privileged educators in the country, I um, and I think millions of educators in my generation are unsure about, you know, our ability to reach key milestones like affording a home, raising kids, saving for retirement, right? Basically to build a future. Yeah. And that, that loan forgiveness is a game changer. But that was the thing that shifted things for me. So in my year in 2016, you know, my my cohort, my colleagues didn't know is like you, you go out, you know, for dinner and drinks and just hit the town because you're all together and you want to celebrate. And it was, my budget was so tight. Like I was embarrassed, man. Like I was at that time, I'm in my fourth year switching into my, going into my fifth year of teaching. So in the state of Oklahoma, like mm, I don't have a budget to go out for dinner and drinks and that sort of thing. And, and at the five year mark as a uh, STEM teacher, so specifically math, I hit the, I got 17, five, thousand seventeen thousand five hundred in loan forgiveness for teaching you know title one school um and then i mean for that to go away and i was just under that i was like 16 plus when that like left that was a total game changer right like now daycare wasn't such a just like you watch that figure just drop immensely you know um so mm -hmm. if that that that's there's an immediate way to provide some relief to educators who desperately need it right now right yeah 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 I mean, you made a really good point when you talked about teachers of color because we know that teachers of color have far more student debt than other teachers. You know, I, a couple of weeks ago, I tweeted out that, you know, you know, you want a good plan for teacher retention? How about forgiving student loan debt? Yeah. That's a good reten retention strategy for teachers of color. And I was, I was kind of inundated with messages and people saying, thank you, thank you. And people coming up to me telling stories like, if I could just get my loans forgiven, I could get a car or I could get a house or I could finally take care of this expense that's been hanging over me for years and years. And these are every from second, third year teachers to 20, 30 year teachers that are still have that student loan debt. And so it's really, really a financial hindrance to our future with having all of this debt on, on us and and. In my city in particular, we're starting to have the discussion around affordable housing because the housing market is just skyrocketing in the city of Richmond. And we're like, well, teachers can't afford it. Teachers can't mm -hmm. even afford to rent 
in our city right now. And so student loan debt is really, really important as far as getting us that extra income. Yeah, 100%. And by the way, this is what my partner asked me to tell my senators, right? Uh, and Senators uh, Warren and Senator Markey are proponents of canceling up to, I think, 50K, uh, which is a good step, but I'm asking for full cancellation, right? Uh, and to your point, Rodney, like, you're absolutely right. Like, people don't always make that correlation between canceling student loans, right? Alleviating those financial hardship that educators face and all of these broader education issues. But just by loan forgiveness, right? We are going to change so much in the education sector. It's going to improve retention and recruitment because it lessens the financial burdens and barriers that teachers face. It'll help diversity, right? And uh, diversifying the educator workforce because, again, to your point, people of color and especially from those in lower income communities have more student loan debt and financial hardship. And it's also going to address that burnout, that resignation crisis that a lot of us are facing because not worrying about your money or your future all the freaking time means that you can actually focus on teaching. And so these things are connected and, and there's not enough material consideration and focus, I think, in a lot of our policy spaces when it comes to supporting our educators. Yeah. And would you would you extend that to like education adjacent uh, fields? Say, so like your school nurses, your counselors, your I mean, do you do you broaden it or or do you just stay with educators or does that does that figure vary maybe? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, broaden it. Why not, right? Change the requirements even by removing a lot of the confusion and the red tape that exists. Simplify the public loan forgiveness to working five years at a Title I school instead of 10 years of on-time payments, right? That in itself is a quick and innovative way to incentivize folks to work in higher needs districts. Yeah, I I, I agree with that 100%. We, We need to... I would go as far as to say, you know, get rid of student loans for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. I think that would make a difference, you know, not just in education, but across the board. You know, I have friends that work in other fields and even though they make more money, they still are telling similar tales, although their tales aren't as desperate as educators. <coughs> Excuse me. But I feel student loans should be forgiven for every single person in the United States. <laughs> That's a yep. tough sell. And that's a tough sell, though, for sure. Yeah, it's a tough. It's I a mean, tough sell. It's here a, in Texas, that's a tough sell. <laughs> it's it's sort of us. I I akin it to the whole minimum wage thing, like people saying people don't deserve fifteen dollar minimum wage. It's, it's everybody or it's nobody. You know what I mean? I, I typically feel that we need to forgive student loans for every single person in America because the scam that are being run by some of these loan or loan holders and the it's I feel that they're preying on some people, you know, and then when you get caught up in the situation, it's like I will never get ahead in life, even though I I made this decision to go to college because I wanted to get ahead. But now here my my going to college is now what's keeping me from getting to that next level in life. And so I really think we re- re- need to reevaluate what the American dream means when you're talking about student loan debt. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole system that's like meant and designed to be confusing, right? Um, yeah. My partner had to like change loan providers three times. Uh, yes. And that's a lot going back to previous loan providers, having your payments being b- verified, going through bureaucracy. It's a whole system that's designed to disincentivize you from getting, right? Um, those opportunities. 
Yeah, and I mean, just on a personal note, my, you know, my wife and I, right before we got married, we said, we said, you know, we sat down to have the entire financial discussion. You know, one of our one of our minor hiccups, not major, of course, we still got married, but like I was finished with my student loan debt, she she wasn't, and it brought a major thing into our marriage that we had to sit down and we talked about. But you know, in the end, it's nothing, you know, but. It's still something that she has. And like you said, she's been in Title I schools for 20 years. She's fulfilled all the requirements, yet she's still making those payments to the point where she left education because she felt like, I can't get ahead because I'm constantly spending all of my money towards student loans. So it's a major, major issue. So TK, tell us a little bit about some of the complacency issues in, in, in Massachusetts. Yeah, I would describe Massachusetts politics as uh, close but no cigar. A lot of educators put Massachusetts on a pedestal, like we're this bastion of like progressive hope and the future of education. And there's a lot of incredible things for sure. Like I love the Commonwealth, um, but this is where the bus boycotts happen, right? Our, our cities are, are, are still amongst the most segregated, right, in the country. Uh, and when it comes to education politics, I feel like there is this let's not rock the boat too much mentality that manifests as a lack of urgency, especially on equity uh, and inclusion issues. And so, for instance, um, when it comes to LGBTQ plus issues, right, like a lot of states were not perfect. Um, and in fact, I think because people assume we're so progressive and liberal, there's actually not as much desire for concrete action, right? Uh, and I like to sort of juxtapose it to, to, to more red states, right? And, and, and whereas in more red states, I think the battle is more about combating discriminatory policies and bigotry. In blue states, it's more about combating um, that complacency issue, right? And going beyond like a superficial and cosmetic progress, right? Uh, and so, for example, uh, LGBTQ plus representation in our schools, not bad, right? It's not considered problematic for many of our schools to have out educators. I was an out educator myself, right? Uh, or to use inclusive pronouns and have rainbow flags in the classroom. Uh, and those are, you know, relatively smaller examples of progress though, right? Like meaningful for sure, but it's not like systematic uh, infrastructural change, right? And so when it comes for support, like homeless LGBTQ youth or the mental and emotional health services that address LGBTQ youth needs, right? There's a lot to go. Um, and I remember even my high school, we didn't have gender neutral bathrooms. Even our single stalled faculty bathrooms were gendered. Uh, so again, it's rare uh, to see these large systemic changes. Yeah, it kind of reminds us of what's going on in, in Virginia. You know, everything, because we're a commonwealth too, just like Massachusetts, we're the only... I think we're the only two commonwealths in the United States, but um, we have sort of that issue as well where, oh, this isn't an issue, so no one really wants to push it. But now, recently with the election, some of those things that shouldn't have been an issue have started to rear their head. For example, it's in law that you know the, the LGBTQ protections are in law, but what happened was a number of schools delayed implementing their policy, hoping mm. the election would turn out in their favor. And now that the election has turned in their favor, they're still dragging their feet. But what they don't realize is that one thing they did get right was they put this in law. This isn't just a 
policy that you can choose not to follow or not. This is actual law. So now we're going to have school systems wasting millions of dollars once again, fighting battles that they know they're going to lose. It's like, why can't you use those millions of dollars to make your schools more inclusive, to make your schools more welcoming to everyone? But instead, you're going to waste all this taxpayer fund, all these taxpayer funds fighting battles that you know you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we've we've got yeah. that in spades out here in, in Texas. You know, it's it's that in, invisible threat that is not a real threat. But gosh, if it doesn't make for a great campaign, you know, slogan. I mean, we passed you know we passed the transgender athlete bill out here where you got to compete in your biological sex that you're assigned at birth. And and you know, I listened to much of the, that testimony. And it was just like, okay, so like, is this a thing though? Like, have we had an instance where a transgender individual, uh, you know, competed in the different, you know, the other, whatever, how, however they're designing, right? Like the the opposite gender, and and shortchange someone? No, no, we don't have any like documented. Or they would reference like the Connecticut track case, right? Like the there were two um, track athletes in Connecticut, and like that's the basis and. Part of the thing that really frustrates frustrates me is that, you know, Texas always prided itself on doing things its own way, right? It's goofy sometimes. For, for As a non-native Texan, you're just kind of like, oh, it's, it's overkill, but all right. It's kind of like uh, endearing in some ways. And yet this last session, they like full all in on the uh, national level politics where, you know, because we, we, by far we weren't the only state uh, setting out. Or the, and my thing is like, so these kids are still in your like schools though. Like you can hate them and their existence all you want but the kid is still there like you, you can bench him but like what what are you doing like what i mean i don't know I, i'm frustrated and i feel for our students and educators who are probably eyeing places like massachusetts and virginia as places of refuge you know yeah, I know they're. Not, I know that that's great, not true. Right? <laughs> yes, you, we, yeah. just, we had a conversation. Yeah. That's not the case, but I don't know. You know, it's it's on, on one hand, right? There's this narrative of privilege that I want to acknowledge in our Massachusetts education community, and it is better in some areas than other places in the country and the world. And then on the other hand, right, the narrative is we can't we can't settle for how things are, right? Because how things are and where things were has always been not good. And we have a long, long way to go. And I think the issue with complacency is that it allows the louder voices, right, to sort of overtake the conversation and discourse. And so I have fears about this right wing pushback against equity and inclusion measures that we're seeing all across the country, even in Massachusetts. Uh, And, you know, it started with the so-called CRT boogeyman, but it's naturally making its way into LGBTQ issues. Uh, I'm from New Jersey. I'm a product of New Jersey public schools. So shout out to NJ folks. Um, But even though New Jersey, right, is one of the first and few states in the country to have an LGBTQ plus inclusive curriculum mandate, they're actually experiencing a lot of pushback by a reactionary wing of people who think that topics on gender and sexuality are abusive to discuss in an academic context. And so like even in states like Massachusetts and Virginia, right, if we're not vigilant, if we fall into complacency, what we take for granted can dissipate in the blink of an eye. Yeah, and that, that's what's going on right now is, you know, we're seeing the pushback. People are challenging policies. People are challenging curriculum. That loud voice 
you know, and like you said, complacency. We we said, okay, this issue was settled, you know, let's start talking about other issues, you know, one election, and now we're back to this having these same old arguments that we thought were settled, you know, four or five years ago. And that that is the danger of complacency when when we are when we're dealing with these issues. Well, we're the episode, the time has just flown by, TK. And we, so, as you know, we close out our episodes. We ask our guests to provide some homework and extra credits. So, what's that homework assignment for our listeners? Yes. Uh, so, I want to talk about testifying at a committee meeting, uh, and also a little bit about my experience of doing so at the Massachusetts State House. Uh, so, I'm uh, I'm proud of our State House Education Committee because they are receptive to bills that support LGBTQ people. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that in Massachusetts, right, the narrative is of complacency uh, and true to that na- nature. Uh, we're actually one of the few so-called progressive states that does not have an LGBTQ plus uh, inclusive curricular mandate. Uh, but one is on the docket, nothing crazy, nothing radical, uh, but it just merely states that our standards should include the sufficient instruction of the histories, the roles, the contribution of LGBTQ plus people. Uh, and it's a bill that I testified on with a group of other uh, LGBTQ plus educators across the Commonwealth. And so it's called H618. Uh, I'm hopeful it'll pass, so fingers crossed. Uh, and my extra credit to the folks who are listening is for you all to similarly testify for a bill in an education committee meeting. Uh, it's really simple. Just look up Joint Committee of Education, right? If you're in Massachusetts, right, right, MA State House. Uh, and once you click the link, you'll get to see uh, some of the senators and House members who lead uh, the education committee. And what's really cool is that there are tabs uh, to see different hearings that are up and coming. Uh, and you can see not only an entire docket of really awesome, uh, cool curriculum, uh, related diversity related bills that are out there that you can offer your own testimony to and then also all of the hearing dates that are up and coming. Uh, there's also a lot of great incredible teacher organizations like the Educator for Excellence, uh, Teach Plus, where you could connect with other policy minded educators to advocate on these issues. And especially because all of these things are now virtual, uh, I feel like it's much easier to have your voice be heard. Definitely. Sorry. I was like, I was processing all the things. It's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah. Please, please go and testify because lawmakers love, love stories. They love, they love stories that they can steal and tell themselves, you know, <laughs> and I'm saying use our stories. If it gets your colleagues to, you know, vote for the bills that favor and protect all people. And so I really appreciate that, that advice and that, that extra credit that you gave folks, because it's yeah. really something practical that anybody can do. And so that's yeah. really awesome. Yeah. And, I, yeah. Here in Texas, and we don't know what they don't know, right? Oh, I'm sorry. No, run with that. Go ahead. Yeah. And the thing is like, we assume that everyone sort of shares our context, but it's not until you're in these spaces that you realize, oh, these people who are writing our laws, making our legislation, have no idea what it means to be a teacher, right? And so what I think is basic and normal requires and and, and needs to be heard, right? Yeah. And if you're, if, if you're in a state that's like Texas, that's on the other side of the spectrum in the conversations, your testimony still matters. I mean, I heard all the students who would be impacted by the transgender athlete bill and, you know, that 
that the legislators still weren't moved by it was not a moot point. Like your story was still mattered a lot. Like thousands of people still heard it and you need to just take that fight and run with it. Like we're going to meet again on these issues. So stay ready. And, 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 and your testimony sometimes could have provided that fire that someone else needed to hear and that validation that like, yes, you know what? My fight is a worthwhile yeah. cause and I'm not alone in this. And so this is how you do it. Or maybe I can reach out to this person and, and join up with them. I mean, cause I, it, it was, it was a rough session. I, I, I feel like just so beat down. It was a rough session for people of color and for LGBTQ plus populations in the state. And I just, it's, 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 it's unfortunate, but that testimony thing, like don't sleep on that. And the, the, the slight silver lining, to how we changed our protocols was that if in Texas anyway, you can submit written testimony virtually, which was like not always a thing. You needed to go down to Austin to do that. Um, and so it's a little bit more accessible, especially if you're a student and you're, you know, these committee meetings happen at 10 a.m. on like a Tuesday and you're like, okay, well, I've got AP physics at that time. Uh, you can submit that virtually or digitally. So uh, leverage all of those new um, opportunities to have your voice be heard. Ronnie, closing thoughts? Yeah, I just want to thank you for bringing up the, the issue of complacency, I think, is really, really, you know, an important issue because Virginia got complacent. You know, Virginia got complacent, and now a lot of rights issues that we thought were, you know, solved and had moved on from are now back on the table. And so we can never be complacent when it comes to fighting for our rights, because they will be taken away from us. So I really appreciate you for coming and delivering that message of, hey, it can happen anywhere. And so that I think everybody needs to understand that. Takara, where you. can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, they can follow me at TK underscore Nagayoshi. Uh, I am on Instagram, uh, but I prefer Twitter as my main way of keeping up to date with the the latest educator news. And so follow me on Twitter at TK underscore Nagayoshi. All right. And so for our listeners, just a reminder, you can find us wherever you uh, could find your podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google. And uh, if you like what we're, we're talking about, we would appreciate those likes, those shares, and definitely the positive reviews. Uh, so just, it gives us, it gives Rodney and I some kind of indication that like we're headed in the right direction. Like people are hearing it or, <laughs> you know, like positive reviews. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, hey, look, if, I mean, if you hate it, I mean, <laughs> say what you need to say to you, you're free to, but you, you can hate the podcast. <laughs> just don't hate us so much. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. There we go. Well, 2020 Massachusetts teacher of the year, Takeru Nagayoshi. Thank you so much for coming out. We appreciate you. And this meeting of the Teachers Caucus is now adjourned.